Let's pray and we'll ask God for his help. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look at Psalm 39, that you help us to understand what it says and you help us to take to heart the wisdom that is here for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, earlier this year, my wife, uh, Carmelina, she spoke at a conference, the Equip Women's Conference. And the topic that she was given to speak on was the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, I'm not sure if you know what's in the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but it's about, uh, it's about men and women and uh, the place of men and women and how that should work itself out, how that should be expressed when we're speaking to God or when we're speaking in God's name. Now, obviously, uh, what the Bible teaches about men and women is thoroughly controversial in our culture. Uh, Carmelina was very aware of that, and so she spent tens and tens and tens of hours working on this talk. Uh, she wanted to be faithful to the Bible, she wanted to be brave and, and say what the Bible said, but at the same time she, she wanted to be winsome and, and not needlessly offensive. Uh, so she gave the talk at the conference, uh, thousands of people, uh, I happened to be there, uh, one man among thousands of women, it's quite nice really, um, I, I, I heard the talk, uh, I thought she did a great job. And uh, at the conference, the talk was well received. Unfortunately, what happened is that uh, a newspaper called Eternity uh, reported on the conference. Uh, the author attributed a series of quotes to Carmelina. Uh, some of them were true, uh, some of them were true but taken out of context, and some of them were just plain false, just things that she didn't say at all. Uh, the issue hit social media and there was uproar. I don't like social media at the best of times. But even I was amazed by the venom of attacks against Carmelina. Uh, people say stuff online that they would just never say to your face. It's part of the big problem with social media. That, that, that the rudeness and the vitriol was quite extraordinary, really. Now, the reality is... Most of the people who attacked Carmelina, they would have disagreed even if they'd actually heard her talk. But what was galling was that they were angry about stuff that she didn't even say. She was in all this trouble for things that she didn't even say in the talk because of that article that was in Eternity. Anyways, things got more and more heated and rude. A number of people contacted Carmelina. They said, have you heard all this stuff that people are saying about you? Aren't you going to step up and defend yourself? Now, some people went into bat for Carmelina online. Uh, some people who heard the talk, they tried to correct errors of fact from the article. They tried to defend what Carmelina said. Uh, that was very kind of them. But of course, it just kept the fires going for longer. Now, as you'd expect, Carmelina was very upset about this whole thing. She was, uh, she was worried enough about being attacked for what she did say, let alone for stuff that she didn't say. She, she thought the whole thing was thoroughly unfair... And with some of the threats that were being made against her, some of the things people were saying they were going to do, she was quite worried for her own safety and for the safety of our children. Uh, she kept talking to me about it, and she said, Jeff, what should I do? All these terrible things people are saying. Should I speak up and defend myself? Should I set the record straight? What do you think I should do? What would you have said? How would you have answered Carmelina's quandary? 
Have you ever had anything like that happen to you? Have you ever been kind of attacked or accused of something? Maybe, maybe the whole thing was a misunderstanding, but you're being attacked. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you've been falsely accused. People are angry with you for stuff you didn't even say or it was somebody else's fault. It's, it, it's not pleasant, is it? Thoroughly unpleasant. It's certainly, it is certainly not easy to keep silent when you are innocent and you're being uh, attacked and maligned. It, it can start to... Have you ever had this experience that just burns inside you, the injustice of it? You just want to scream out, it is not fair! So how should we respond in that kind of situation? What's, what's the wise thing to do? Well, as you can see from the heading, uh, this psalm is written by King David. He wrote it, uh, as it says there, for the director of music. At that time was a, a bloke from the tribe of Levi, a bloke called Jedathan. Have a look at me here at the heading of Psalm 39. Uh, it's written for the director of music, for Jedathan, and it's a psalm of David. As David wrote this situation, wrote this, as David wrote this psalm, he was in a bit of a bad situation. A little bit, little bit like the situation Carmelina was in, probably much more dangerous, but a little bit like it, because uh, wicked people have attacked David. Uh, They've accused him, they have scorned him, they've mocked him, and he feels terrible. It's eating him up. He he can't have any joy in life. It's just all-consuming for him. Now, it's not like David's been all pure and blameless. He admits that he hasn't been perfect. Of course, he's a sinner. But in this situation, he feels that's really, it's a case more of him being sinned against than sinning. Overall, he feels what he's going through... It's not fair. It's not right. So as we start the psalm, what David does is he takes us back in time. Takes us back in time to another time when he was facing a situation a little bit like what he's facing now. Uh, Again, back then, he'd been attacked by wicked people. He'd been falsely accused. He was being scorned. And back then, David had made a decision. He decided that what he was going to do was keep his mouth shut. He was going to bite his tongue, zip the lip. Uh, He said to himself, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to stand up and defend myself. That was the plan. Just say nothing. Don't say anything good or bad. Don't do anything. You can see it with me in the first verse of the psalm. Psalm 39 and verse 1. That's what David said in this previous situation. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I'll put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So, I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good. He wants to keep silent. But as things progress, and it's just so unfair, and it's just so not right, he gets angrier and angrier, and it's like a volcano inside him, and it's going to explode until finally, out it comes. He can't stop himself. He just has to say it. Halfway through verse 2, he tried to be silent, but halfway through verse 2, but my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. I reckon it should be a full stop here at this point, not a colon. Poor David. Poor David. He just, he could not leave it unsaid. For all his desire to be silent, he, 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 just, he had to speak up. He had to defend himself. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You've been unjustly accused. 
you think to yourself, just ignore it, overlook it. The person goes on and on, whinging about something you didn't even do. Just, just shut up. You're not going to achieve anything by defending yourself. Just, just keep quiet. But it builds and it builds and it builds. And you just, you can't help yourself. The injustice is too much to bear. You feel like your good reputation has been besmirched. You feel like other people are looking down on you. They think you're wrong. They think you're stupid. And all along, they don't know what they're talking about. It's not your fault. It does feel like a volcano inside, doesn't it? I'm not the only one who feels this, am I? It does feel like a volcano inside. You just, it is hard to hold it in. You just want to scream and shout. Well, that was David. He couldn't hold it in. He had to speak. But now he regrets it. I mean, even then, he knew it was a bad idea. He knew he just needed to keep his mouth shut, zip the lip, bite your tongue, but he couldn't manage it. And, and, and so now what David does, he turns to God in prayer and he asks God to teach him an important lesson. In, in fact, it's two lessons, two things that he asks God to teach him, things that will help him this time as he faces a similar situation. The first thing he asks God to teach him is this. He asks God to teach him that his life, it's, it's, just, it's nothing. It's... It's fleeting. Before God, it's it's just so unimportant. Verse 4. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. Just that long. The, The span of my years is as nothing before you. David's life is fleeting. And if he could just realise that, if God could, could teach him that and he could know how insignificant he is, then he'd realise that if he's unjustly accused, in the context of the universe, in the context of eternity, in the context of God, it's just not that big a deal. He's nowhere near as important as he thinks he is. David doesn't need to defend himself. He doesn't need to speak up because when it comes down to it, His reputation is just not that big a deal. He's not that important. But it's not just David who isn't important. Here's the second thing that David needs to remember. The second thing he he needs God to, to help him to know. These people who are speaking against him, these people who are accusing him and attacking him, these people who think badly of him, They're not that important either. The word David uses here is a Hebrew word that we all know and love in our church here. It's the Hebrew word hevel. Hevel, you know the word? uh, It means means like a breath. Uh, People's lives, it says here, are hevel. Uh, All the stuff that they spend their lives rushing around doing, all the money they earn, all their importance, all their reputation, one breath, and it's gone. They're nothing. And if God could teach David how Havel these people around him are, it'd help him to realise, who cares what they think? Who cares what they think? Why do you have to speak up before these breaths? Verse 6. Everyone is but a breath. Havel, good translation there. 
even those who seem secure. Surely, everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain, they rush about, heaping up wealth, without knowing whose will finally be. Here's what David needs to learn. He and his reputation, not that important. And all these other people and their opinion, not that important. Not so important that you have to speak up. Not so important that you must defend yourself. It, it, it doesn't need to be said. And so here's where David ends up. Here's what he's learning. He's not going to worry about defending his reputation. He's not going to be so concerned about the opinions of other people. What David's going to do is he's going to hope in God. He's going to ask God to save him from his own sin. He's going to ask God to save him from the scorn of other people. And then he's just going to leave it there in God's hands. Verse 7. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. It's a good lesson to learn, isn't it? Doesn't need to be said. It's something I often say to my children. Sorry that they're here to have to hear this, but uh, uh, one of my children will say something, and perhaps it's, it's just not quite exactly correct. And another child will feel, I really, really need to correct what was said here. It, it, it can't remain uncorrected. If it remains uncorrected, something will be wrong with the fabric of the universe. And, and so they, they have to correct the first child. And then the first child, having been corrected, recognises the extraordinary injustice of having been corrected. And they feel that the, the fabric of the universe will be completely destroyed if they don't bite back and defend themselves. And, and so, out of seeming nothing, is created an extraordinary fight. I say to my kids, you don't actually have to say it. If someone says something that is not quite right, you don't have to correct them. If someone corrects you, you don't have to defend yourself. The universe will not collapse if you leave it unsaid. Do you know what most of the time it boils down to? It's just plain pride. And you know what? Keeping your mouth shut will make for so much more of a pleasant, peaceful life. That's the lesson David learned from his past experience. And so we come now to the current situation that David's facing. Again, it's a difficult situation. Serious, very serious situation. It's causing David to weep tears, making his life a misery. It's all consuming again, but this time David's trying hard. He, he's, he's keeping silent. He knows that God's in control. God's the one who's done this. God's the one who does both good and bad things in life. So he doesn't have to speak up. He doesn't have to defend himself. Verse 9, I'd put this in the present tense, but I, I was silent. I would not open my mouth. For you, God, are the one who has done this. David's managing to shut up. 
and instead of talking to people now, instead of having to stand up and defend himself, he does what he's learned he should do. He prays. He asks God to save him from the trouble that he's facing. Verse 10, remove your scourge from me. I'm overcome by the blow of your hand. David asked God to save him. And he says to God, I've learned my lesson. I know everyone's sinful and all their wealth and their reputation. It's Hevel. Verse 11. When you rebuke and discipline anyone for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. Surely everyone is but a breath. David knows God's in control. He knows that God is the only one who can save him. He knows that people and their opinions are nothing. They're Hevel. And so again he prays. He says, God, will you please just spare my life from this situation? My life is so short anyway. Will you please take your anger and judgment away from me and let me enjoy this brief life that I have? Verse 12. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. All right, can you see what's here in this psalm then? uh, David's in a difficult situation. He's facing trouble and scorn from wicked people. It's making his life miserable and he thinks it's not fair. Previously, when he'd found himself in a situation like that, he could not keep his mouth shut despite his best intentions. But he's asked God to teach him a lesson. He and his reputation, not so important that he has to speak up. Other people and their opinions, not so important that he has to speak up. And so instead of speaking up to defend himself, David's better off praying about it. And so that's what he does. He keeps his mouth shut and he prays to God to the God who is in control of the situation, to the God who's the only one who can save him, to the God who's the only one whose opinion matters. A thousand years after King David, uh, there was a man who never sinned. A man who was righteous through and through. Uh, This man was betrayed by one of his best friends, one of the men he trusted most in the world. Uh, This man was attacked by powerful people, not because he'd done anything wrong, but because they were jealous of him. Uh, This man was falsely accused, wrongfully convicted. Uh, This innocent man was whipped and mocked and tortured, and then he was executed in agony by being nailed to a cross. Do you know what? If ever there was a man who was wronged, it was Jesus. If ever there was a man who had the right to speak up and defend himself, it was Jesus. If ever there was a bloke who who could just set things right and defend himself and set the record straight, it was Jesus. But what did Jesus do? Have a look with me there on your outline. Uh, Jesus' friend Peter wrote this. I I love that Peter wrote this because Peter was a bloke who could not keep his mouth shut at all. I I love that Peter wrote this, but he he talks about what happened with Jesus. Can you see what, what he says there? 
just on the right-hand side, a little bit of the way down. When they hurled their insults at him, that's at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You see, there Jesus had learned David's lesson. You don't have to defend yourself in front of people. It is not people's opinion that matters. You need to entrust yourself to God. And Peter goes on to say, it's a lesson that Christians like you and me need to learn. We need to follow Jesus' example. He says, it's there in your outline again, you see, those who suffer according to God's will, he's talking about Christians, you and me, those who suffer according to God's will, what should we do? Commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Friends, is this a lesson you need to learn? Are you one of those people who gets all uppity when you're threatened? When you're maligned and when you're mocked? Are you, are you quick to jump to your own defence? Quick to, to, to make sure the record is set straight? Maybe you're in a situation like that at the moment. This morning, it's a long time since I've had so many people come to me after a sermon this morning and say, this is exactly the situation I'm in at the moment. I think it's because it's Christmas and we have to spend time with family. <laughs> and, and I have to admit, this is off the record, but uh, as I went to visit my own family last night, an unnamed relative who had a few drinks and started to say what he really thinks of me, I just had to bite the tongue, zip the lip, hold it back, and I was pleased that I'd been writing this sermon because I was thinking about it. <clears throat> we need to learn from David, don't we? We're just not as important as we think we are. The universe won't fall apart if our reputation is besmirched. And who are these people we're so desperate to impress anyway? Why is their opinion so valuable that we have to have the record set straight before them? Why is it so important to us that these people think well of us? Friends, our life, it's like a breath. And their lives, it's like a breath. Those people we're so desperate to impress, they are nothing. There's only one opinion that counts. That is the opinion of the God who made us. And this God, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, has done what it takes to, put, to make us pure and holy and blameless, his beloved children. That's the only thing that matters, isn't it? Surely we can just rest silently in the knowledge that we're right with God. So in situations when we're facing scorn, when we're falsely accused, when we're suffering for doing right, what should we do? It's very simple, isn't it? We need to get over ourselves, put aside our pride, and if I can say it in the nicest possible way, just shut up and pray about it. Now, of course there are situations when we ought to speak up. Especially when we need to be defending the weak, 
especially when we need to be speaking up for the glory of God. But that's not usually what makes us want to speak, is it? Usually it's about our pride. How do you know when to apply this? A few people asked me this question this morning. How do you know when to be silent, when not to? The, the rule I generally recognise in myself is that if I desperately want to speak up, I probably need to shut up because it's about my pride. If I desperately want to hide and say nothing, I probably ought to speak up because it's my cowardice. Sad, but true. I don't always give good advice to Carmelina, but uh, when she was being attacked after her talk last year, I, I said what I, what I still think is right. I said, Carmelina, I heard your talk. I, I thought it was faithful to the Bible. I thought it was sensitively applied. Just don't respond to all these attacks. Don't, don't worry what people think. Don't worry what they say. Just commit yourself to God and let him sort it out. It's interesting, Carmelina asked her, Philip Jensen's opinion as well on what she should say if she were questioned by the media. And this is Philip's line, I think it's beautiful. He said, uh, what you say is this. It's old news. It's a mountain out of a molehill. There's nothing to say. <laughs> I reckon that was really nice. And so that's what Carmelina did. She just kept a dignified, prayerful silence and all the furore quickly died out. People looked for some other person to pick on. And, and even though it felt like it might, the universe didn't collapse and a few months down the track, even many of the people who were saying to Carmelina, you have to speak up, they're now saying, no, no, you did, you did the right thing. Well, friends, another brief year has come to an end. Just uh, a few hours. What, four and a half hours? It's going to be 2018. So here's a suggestion. Uh, a suggestion maybe for a New Year's resolution. 2018... How about let's not get so caught up in our own stature and pride and position and reputation. How about we speak up less and pray more. Let's pray now. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your magnificent mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has done everything it takes to set us right and pure and blameless and holy before you before you, the only true God, before you, the only eternal God, before you, the only one whose opinion matters. We pray, Heavenly Father, we might rest in that and that it might just slow us down in our desperate volcanic need to defend ourselves and be seen well in front of other people. Help us to learn this lesson from, from David and from Jesus, to speak up less and to pray more. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.